Welcome everyone to another episode of the In Real Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Semino, and with me as always is my co-host, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Like I said, y'all, I'm just happy to be alive. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a very timely uh, quote there, Andrew. That's very good. You, you dig deep for that one? Did it come to you in a snap of inspiration? I, it came to me in a snap of inspiration while watching this movie. I believe sure, Walter Doggett's <laughs> character says that. So, yeah, That's very appropriate. Hello, everyone. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us again. You are probably listening to this in the middle of a global pandemic. It has left a lot of people quarantined at home, social distancing, isolating away from others. But the movies are there, and we are watching the movies, and we are here to discuss them. And please watch along with us. This one's on Netflix, so it's an easy one to hop on board and wrap up the Quentin Tarantino filmography journey we've been on. Of course, I'm talking about 2015's The Hateful Eight. Uh, until Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, this was the most recent Tarantino movie. It is a, I would say, a polarizing one in some ways. Uh, surprisingly, we can talk about that. I didn't think it necessarily was until I read up on it. But it is, you know, we are coming to the end. This is our official last episode of the QT Filmography series, given that, again, we did Hollywood in our archives previously. And it's a little bit of a letdown, I would say, Andrew. It's, uh, I sort of wish we'd ended with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yeah. because this one is uh, not the most thrilling conclusion there could ever be. First of all, when you said uh, there are movies and we are watching them, that sounded like advice Donald Trump would give during one of his briefings <laughs> oh, God damn it, for people to cope. Please uh, do not associate me with and that. Second of all, I just want to say the only silver lining, maybe one of the few silver linings, I guess, of this horrible global pandemic is that uh, it got us to actually finish a series that we started. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's, it's, that's kind of nice, Steve. We're going out on a high note because we actually finished something. We We've did. never gone out on a note, on any sort of note before. It is so. it is a silver lining in a very dark cloud mm. that we were able to get to this. And on that note, we would like to dedicate this episode to our friend Chris. Chris has been on the In Real Deep podcast several times. The Stars Born episode, the Armageddon episode. He's out there on the front lines in Los Angeles. He's a surgeon. He's treating patients he's you know he's been interviewed on cnn he's been on local news msnbc he's everywhere he's really in, a, in some small ways one of the faces of this uh the the healthcare professionals against this pandemic and we love him very much and we wish him the best out there i know he's doing great work and uh, we just wanted to say we're thinking of him yeah him and everyone else out there dealing with some pretty bleak and dire stuff and uh Friend of friend of the pod, I don't know. I guess that's that's that's. Uh, You've never met him, but friend, uh, friend of the pod in other ways. Uh, we'll bring you guys uh, together now that maybe that's one of another benefit of this pandemic is you guys can come together podcastually. So degrees of separation. I actually uh, really enjoyed that. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite episodes, at least that I've not been on of of our podcast. The star is born. A star is born. One. Um, I think I listened to it maybe right before I went and saw. It. Anyway, it was really good and. Um, Yes, but yeah, we're we're thinking of him and everyone else out there, um, uh, whether it's doctors or delivery drivers, um, grocery just... store, whatever you're doing. If you're if you're out in the, if you have to be out in the world to earn a living and keep everything you know going, God bless you. We love you and we wish you the best. And we hope this these us, us two dumb idiots will keep you entertained for the next forty five minutes and change. So yeah, yeah. Andrew, we are here. We're back. We're talking Quentin Tarantino. Let's talk beverages before we get into the Hateful Eight. What are you enjoying tonight? 
Uh, well, first of all, I was I was expecting that we would just do a moisturizer of choice because my my hands are so fucking chapped. Uh, <laughs> From watching them um, intently over and over again, like you have OCD. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's also just winter here. I guess maybe you don't have the same dryness. No, it's, so it's like seventy five well, degrees today. So. <laughs> I mean, we're coming out of winter, so depending on the day, like. Um, and then I'm also like we're because we're home all the time. Like we're doing like triple the amount of dishes. So like the the combination of more hand washing, dry air, and extra dishwashing um, is turning my hands into a like a bloody <laughs> crack mess. I recommend Gold Bond uh, healing. Um, I don't know, Amanda has it. My wife. Um, no, I am drinking a uh, a Truth Imperial IPA, which uh, in in the Donald Trump era is always an apropos beer to be drinking, but second Trump uh, reference in like six minutes. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. But also I was feeling like Kurt Russell really could have used a beer like this when they get to, uh, they get to, um, the, ha- uh, the haberdashery, Minnie's uh, haberdashery, Minnie's haberdashery yep. um, to, to, to figure out who was who. <laughs> I have a thematically appropriate beer as well, to some extent, in honor of Senor Bob, aka Marco the Mexican. I have a Pacifico right now. It's a, it's a nice Mexican beer. It's a treat, and I did not realize. I was hoping. I was looking in my fridge, like, what do I have that's thematically appropriate? And then I found Pacifico. So, hooray! I'm glad to have something that. Would, and, nice. and I will say before, you know, slight spoiler on my thoughts. I think Demi and Bashir is one of the best people in this movie. So it's a treat to have a, a beer that commemorates him. So. I think one of the things I miss, I don't know about you, but I saw it in the theater. Uh, they did like a 70 millimeter road show, which is like a super widescreen format. I saw that in the downtown wide... theater in D.C. when I lived in yeah, D.C. Yeah. yeah, one of the best parts about seeing it in that format, which just, I mean, I know it's widescreen, but it's not the same on your TV, is was just, for me, was just watching what Damien Bashir was doing in the background half the time. It was always <laughs> funny. Um and uh, I, you know, just the smaller screen and the, you know, it just just didn't come through. But I, I remember that about watching it back in uh, back in 2015, or I guess probably early 2016 when it came out. Um, <clears throat> so it's a great. nice touch, yeah. And that's you know that's a great segue into talking about the movie in general. As we said, this is the last of the Tarantino movies that we'll be talking about. We sort of downplayed its importance, and I think that's you know. Even if you like this movie, I think that's something that's hard to ignore that I can't help but bring up right away is you I could see finding this movie very entertaining. I could see finding it tense and taut and interesting and fun in a lot of ways, but it doesn't have a lot of meaning to it. You know you and I were texting about this before we got on like it's just hard to really find a takeaway at the end as to why this existed besides that he's Quentin Tarantino and wrote a sort of snappy you know thrillery western type script like other than that it 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 might say the least of all of his movies, which you know there's a couple that don't have a ton to say and are fun, but this one might just the, this, this, the meaning escapes me even now trying to think about how to sum this up in like a sentence or two in some meaningful way yeah I mean that's I, I think that's uh, that's completely my assessment I enjoy enjoyed significant parts of this movie I do think it has slower moments it doesn't have the same like momentum and thrust that even like uh, even like a more minor work like uh, Reservoir Dogs has at least has like sort of momentum throughout and this one just kind of stops and starts to a degree it is entertaining um i think it's like 
there, there's pieces of it that I think are better done than I, I think it, like visually it's like the most sumptuous film of his to like look at whether that's when they're going through these snowy mountains or this ultra widescreen view of like basically a stage play. Um, it also has the Ennio Morricone screen uh, 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 score. Um, so there's, there's good parts of it, but I, I, yeah, I just, I don't know why he made this movie really. I, I, I don't, not that I don't know why he made this movie because that's, that's not, that's not Quentin Tarantino kind of just does whatever the hell he wants. And it's clear he wanted to make like a, a Western slash mystery uh, sort of, sort of thing. But like, I, yeah, I, I don't know what the point of all this was. And it's, it's, it, it is very interesting in, in contrast to, to Django, which really is in a very similar lane in a lot of ways. Um, but is not, you know, has, has a much more clear perspective and uh, is more clearly trying to say something. Um so yeah, it's it's just uh, it it is a little. I guess you're right. I think it is a little bit of a uh, a weird place to end this <laughs> this whole series because um, it's, it's like I don't know to that... talk about though. Like there's there yeah. are things going on that are worth discussing. Not every movie needs to have you know a a point or a moral uh, objective for existing. You know that's not why mo- all movies are made. But it's just a lot of his other movies had something along those lines. Even the fun ones had something that you could really sort of you condense it into a statement or so. And this one just feels like he made a movie because it was time to make a movie, and he had a decent little idea and a lot of good actors and actresses who wanted to take part in it yeah 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 i think that's i think that's right no and i don't want to like i I don't think i i don't i'm not really in i'm not really a fan or lover of quentin tarantino for his statements that he makes you know like (laughs) i don't really think that's what you go in for with a tarantino film because i i i think there is this sort of hedonism and pleasure to his films at, at at a at a base level um but it's just, yeah, it's just a muddled sort of story here. I, I think part of it, too, is that, like, the main characters kind of shift throughout, uh, which, I mean, I guess, again, a lot of his movies, you know, do the, do the same thing, but it just doesn't, it feels a little more um, awkwardly put together, I suppose. That's so. a really good point, because I was going to say, you know, his his statements are, are, especially in the first couple movies, are like, the, the 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 charming entertaining side of bad guys you know like they're murderers they're thieves they're this they're that but the, here's them hanging out and being fun mm-hmm. and interesting and and this one you know specifically thinking of the chris mannix character played by walton goggins you know he undergoes probably the biggest shift in the movie as you know a very prominent racist who ends up siding <laughs> with samuel jackson yeah. because of logistics and you know who who he would rather just you know sort of support and and bullshit he senses and all that but like that 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 is you know ostensibly the closest comparison I could think of of like a bad guy who you see a different side to as the movie goes on but as you said it's it's not smooth or you know it's it's very play-y in that it's it, you know yeah. it's, they, they say it basically like Samuel Jackson's mm-hmm. character basically says like yeah you're on my side I, I like you now like they like they yeah. spell it out in a way that is just so blunt that is like it, it's this is not on a stage where we need you need to talk to the back of the audience you know like yeah. we get what's <laughs> happening in the movie you know so it's like it's weird that he you know took that angle with this and basically filming a play in a lot of ways but it would know like bother with a lot of cinematic elements where it's just those i think those things just don't really mesh in the way that maybe he wanted them to or the way they should or it's hard to say what didn't exactly work but yeah stuff like that is is just a little tonally odd 
Yeah, I, it's funny. I wrote down in my notes. I enjoyed the I enjoy the manix turn, but this is a nihilist romp. Like, like to to what end? Like, like, uh, like this this all this all this happened. Like, there's one other quote I wrote down that I think maybe when I think of this movie sums it up, which is um, the the I, I can't even remember who said this, but I think I think it might have been Tim Roth's character. The good part about frontier justice is that it's thirst quenching, and to me, this movie just feels like Quentin Tarantino quenching his thirst for I don't know another western and a and a, again like a nihilist sort of romp of some sort, which you know again has its merits, but like makes it in this in this group of ten mo- or nine movies, however many we've watched, makes it kind of. One of the more minor pieces, I suppose. So. Yeah, I read an interview with Tarantino where he basically said that he, you know, he liked these episodes of Western shows and movies where, like, mm-hmm. you know, there would be a bunch of guest stars in a room and you'd be trying to figure out who was the good guy and who was the bad guy and why they were there. And and this one, he wanted to, sh- you know, make a movie where it was all bad guys, you know, yeah. all mean people in one room. And there was, but I think there's an inherent flaw in that, <laughs> in that sort of storytelling. If everyone's a bad guy, then what are you? What are we? doing as what you know as, as the film going audience you know like who yeah. are, not that we need someone to root for but but there's a lot of rudimentary basic storytelling tropes in here too where it's screaming out for a good guy you know or a good yeah. person in general and that the person yeah. that person never really shows up and so at the end it's sort of it feels incomplete and unclear what we're supposed to be doing with it and i i, I could see some people being into that and saying i don't care like i don't need my stories to go from a to c a to b to c and then reach a conclusion but i think you know when you're when you're basically copying these tropes that have worked so many times before that have that structure to leave that key element out is going to leave a lot of your audience wondering what is even going on yeah yeah and and just to go back to something you said um uh earlier like uh you said you called it like a stage play Uh, that i totally agree with that um and part partially just because of the basically like three quarters of the film or two thirds of the film are literally confined in what could very easily be a stage right like um uh but it, it reminded me, I guess, I, to go way back to the beginning of the series, it really reminded me of Reservoir Dog, which has a very similar um, approach. And what's interesting about that is, that, like, these, I, I guess we've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but basically, like, these bookend his career. Um, and, you know, I, I think I made some comment when we were talking about Reservoir, Reservoir Dogs that it, it felt like something someone would do very early in his career. Well, it's kind of interesting that he kind of comes back to this. Um, all all bad guys violent uh stage play, play yeah. set up again but even reservoir um, dog has, in... has a has a good guy revealed at a certain point in the movie you know? true, like, true true but, true, but you're right though true. like and reservoir dog is something that he was sort of financially obligated to make it on that sort right. of one set like right. Right. here he is right. able to do whatever he wants he basically has a blank check and like he's, and as you I think you know very appropriately noted sort of went back to what has worked before or or just a style that he finds interesting obviously but you know it's just it's and and I th- I think part of the reason that it's uh, that you can look at like I think one of the things that I'm fascinated by is, as I was reading about this movie a lot of people loved this movie it was on a lot of critics top 10 lists it was on their some of their top 5s and it wasn't just like Pete Hammond crumbum critics, you know, like it was legitimate <laughs> critics. But then a lot of people said this movie sucks. Like I think A.O. Scott hated it. Owen Gleiberman hated it. Like a lot of people straight, straight up did not like it at all. So it definitely fell either on the love or hate side of the spectrum. And I think one of the reasons I, I can envision that is 
the actor the performances are really good like almost yeah. everyone is great i would say i would say even kurt russell might be the worst person in the movie like <laughs> yeah, he just yeah. seems like he's in a different movie than everybody yes, else like, yeah, yeah. he yells so much like there's a point where he should be yelling and there's a point where he should probably cool <laughs> yeah. it and he yeah. did not get the message to cool <laughs> it at all yeah. yes yes i assume it's because he was so distracted by his massive facial hair i mean like his <laughs> facial hair should get its own credit in this one i mean <laughs> the guy already is like kind of a legend for having great <laughs> great hair uh but it's 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 something to behold in this movie but yes you're right i didn't yes that's the perfect assessment of uh of <laughs> of the character although maybe some of that is like kind of the point of his character i don't know like his character is taken in by this dumb abraham lincoln letter prank that samuel L. jackson's character plays in him and maybe the point is to make him be a a boob i don't know yeah or, that- that's actually that's the part I wrote about in my notes that I was really I remember I remember noting that when I saw it back in, in you know when it came out in theaters but mm-hmm. that's sort of a really interesting little twist that the movie takes where you know Russell at that point is so big and bombastic and clearly like the <laughs> the, the closest thing you have to a hero for sure and yeah. though he's not particularly heroic in a lot of ways but then he sort of gets his comeuppance in a way from Samuel Jackson and he seems shook to his core by this. And then dies very soon after that, and so it's just it's a it's a fascinating uh, way to take your story for Tarantino, where you give your hero sort of this moment of weakness, which could be endearing in some ways, but instead it just sort of exposes him in in, in other ways to just all of a sudden his armor has fallen, and then he dies bloodily and violently soon after. <laughs> yes. So it's. Yeah. I, I don't know what Tarantino thinks of the John Ruth character because later on in the movie, in the near way ends, they justify you know their their quote unquote good guy decisions, Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins character as a tribute to the John Ruth character. But at that point, I didn't feel like John Ruth deserved or warranted such a tribute. You know, like yeah, I thought yeah. that was a surprising way to wrap the movie. Like, hey, remember Kurt Russell from an hour ago? <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't know him that well, but we should honor his memory. It's like what? Who cares about Kurt Russell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many yeah. things. About happened this is a long ass movie i forgot that even happened i'm just really glad you remember all the characters names or you're reading off because <laughs> i don't remember any of them and i and i've recently watched this movie so um so, so yeah i'm glad what you was andrew what was your favorite performance in this movie um uh mini no i'm just kidding uh i just i said that to buy time uh what was my favorite performance in this movie i think walton goggins is just because it's like it has the whole arc i like him anyway but i i guess i would say the tandem of him and samuel jackson like they kind of start off like arguing well that kind of they they're like arguing in the carriage um and then they end up teaming up but i think goggins is like kind of the he's kind of an idiot too but he like i i don't know i just i just enjoyed uh enjoy, he's he's like in some ways he's like got this comedic touch that um he had on justified um when he was he was the villain on that show um boyd crowder and uh, i remembered someone's name at least <laughs> i think i think that was my favorite and then i I throw uh damien damien bashir in there as well yeah i think that's very true and i i think there's there's something about wall and goggins i think in many of his performances but this one as well he everyone he talks to he imbues them with like life and energy you know like yeah there's this, yeah. there's that really short scene where he talks to tim ross character and like 
Tim Roth is pretty nothing in this movie, which is a shame to say because I love Tim Roth. Yeah. He has very little to do, but he also just is sort of there in the background for most of it. But the scene, the very short scene where him and Goggins interact is so fun. And you know, I'm just like, I love yeah. these two guys talking to each other. And then him talking to Samuel is great. Him ranting on Michael Madsen's character and his stupid little boy cowboy hat that he wears. Like, everything Goggins point touches in this movie turns to gold. Like he really, he, he yeah. gives it life when otherwise it just becomes a bogged down exposition of everyone explaining who they are and why they're there. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is yeah. so much of the movie. Like there's a, so uh, there's a ch- giant chunk of this where Kurt Russell's walking around the haberdashery to asking people who they are. And they're going into little monologues. And it's yeah. it's like they're they're good actors and actresses. I like their monologues, but at the same time, like this is a two hour and what forty minute movie. Like let's let's move it along here. This is a very yeah. lengthy performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. What was your favorite performance? I'd say Goggins and Bashir are really good. I, I think the one that is the certainly the most controversial and probably the most worth of discussion is Jennifer Jason Lee, because. Yeah. She is the really the only prominent female character in the movie. There's a couple in the haberdashery in the flashback, but really it's it's JJL is is the the female crux of the film. And I I don't know I it, it's less like we, we talked about this on our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode and on many of these episodes actually because Tarantino's uh, treatment of females in his movies varies. Like he's certainly gotten better over his career and you know has has made whole movies about women kicking ass not that that justifies anything but like he clearly i think he recognized seemed like he constantly recognized that as a flaw in his storytelling at a certain point and like and, tr- and tried to tell good stories involving female characters which yeah. kudos to him he, he certainly was not good at it at the start but this one is a weird movie because uh i brought up once my time in hollywood because i did not like the violence in that movie especially at the way end because it was directed towards female characters who were not the personification of the evil that deserved the vi- I thought deserved the violence they was inflicted upon them. But in this one, Daisy G- Domergue is clearly a very horrible human being, you know, and is constantly conniving to kill those around her and being terrible. So, like, I, I, I guess the violence about against her is more justified. But it's and it, at least at the very least, it feels that's part of the movie that feels relatively well baked you know like it seems like he knew it was going to be controversial but he like put enough there where he was like look this is a bad person and you know and so it's more justified than you know that there's there's actually although we don't see her crimes we just hear about them and yeah. they're about to happen so i don't know it's it's very it's way it's more on the fence than i would say you know once upon a time in hollywood but still i think certainly worth discussion yeah i don't See, I don't, I, I think, I mean, you kind of hit it for me at the end there. Like, I just, I think the problem, one of the problems there is that um, it's just not earned. It's told to us, right? Which is a very a surprising thing to say about a, a Tarantino film. But, like, I, is she bad? Like, I mean, I mean yeah. She's she, part of the gang that, you know, kills Kurt Russell. And she kills Kurt Russell, literally. She kills Michael Parks' character. She wants, or James Parks' character, sorry. She wants to kill all of them. Like, so, like, she is, we don't see her commit crimes, but she wants very badly to commit many a crime throughout the course yeah, of the movie. Yeah, but, like, you just said it yourself. These are all terrible people, so, like, who really cares? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, 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 other than her, like, using a racial slur that, like, everyone else calls Samuel Jackson <laughs> in the movie, like, yeah. like, what, what really does she do that's, like, so bad? which maybe like that's the only point i could sort of half come up with 
that maybe Tarantino was trying to say is, is that everyone in the old West was shitty. But I don't like. <laughs> they like, do I take a lot of glee at the end of watching her die. Like that's the another. That's yeah. Like the, the the joyful end of the movie and yeah and and again they're 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 your ostensible heroes even though they're not heroes and so you you sort of have to remind yourself consciously that you should not be enjoying this along with them you know though the movie seems to somewhat imply that you should be I think Tarantino we've talked about him so much I think he just gets off on that idea of conflicted not a conflicted audience you know like i think he likes making people feel uncomfortable and he likes he likes taking tropes like that and and tweaking it enough so it's you you want to go along with what the trope is but you're also somewhat conscious of the fact that you should not be doing so yeah and i guess i I don't know like i just think i just think you know he's I, i think he's especially having seen once upon a time in hollywood and i know that the that the that Margot Robbie's performance in that movie is sort of also a subject of controversy, but for different reasons. I just, I, I just think he can do female characters better. Like, cause I mean, we know that Jackie from Jackie Brown. Brown. Yeah. I mean, right, right down, right down to this one. So if you saw um, Jackie even Brown, like, you didn't know Tarantino, you might be like, this is, you know, and you've seen, yeah. like, it just, it just does not seem like the guy who's made so many other movies that are so much more careless with, with their female yeah. characters, you know? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I, all I can say is like it made me uncomfortable, um, and I think it made me uncomfortable the first time I saw it too. So, um, but again, I don't know, I don't know how much of that is 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 like you said, Tarantino kind of getting off on that, or you know, um, doing something that um, it, 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 you know, is transgressive on purpose, and how much of it is also just sloppy filmmaking? Because I mean, saying that you know, Daisy Domergue isn't well established as a villain and you don't understand her motivations and they're just told to you is really something you can under you like you could say about pretty much every character in the movie. Like why are any of them there? I mean, Bruce Dern's character is the only one that kind of makes sense. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's out, out in, um, out in Wyoming. And so like, or wherever there, I think it's Wyoming. Um, so, you know, I, I, some of it, some some portion of it, I guess, is probably just sloppier filmmaking than we're accustomed to from from QT. <clears throat> yeah, and I, it's hard to tell whether that's because we hold him to a high standard at this point, or you know, because his, when it, when his name is attached to a movie, especially for folks like you and I, we 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 uh, expect certain yeah. things from it, you know, and yeah. and I think this this movie has a lot of those very basic elements that we find entertaining and valuable, but yeah, in terms of like being a masterpiece or or not even it's a it's a coherent story but giving its characters the proper motivations it doesn't do a lot of that but i also think this is like i i you know i saw the movie knives out in 2019 and i am was not a huge fan of knives out because i but i know a lot of people were but to me i just don't like the mo- kind of movie where its characters are very thin uh, mm-hmm. stereotypes or just plot contrivances to move things along like but but the movie actively does not care about that you know that's not the mm-hmm. point of the movie is not to flesh them out it's to move along they service the plot entirely and i think yeah. that's a lot of what this movie is doing too so it also might just not be our kind of movie in that sense you know yeah well and that's a very un un tarantino thing to say and in a lot of ways when you look at the body of his work because um i i think his career is built on uh 
getting you engrossed in characters that it would either be, you know, bit players in another movie or would be, you know, villains in some ways. Right. Like, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a lot of what, what Pulp Fiction is all about is like, you know, getting you interested in just, just letting you sit there with these, these characters who otherwise would be like undesirables or villains, you know? Um, so I, I think, I think that, that that you know i guess for me it cements that this is you know a more minor work even though it has its its sort of sort of merits and i'm i'm sitting here saying that as someone who loves a good western and loves a western with an ennio morricone score like this is this is something i should have i should like more um so so it's 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 fine it's good it's better than most movies but i i just don't think in the context of this whole series which we are finishing yay uh, uh, that, um, that, uh, that, that, that says a whole heck of a lot. So speaking of Ennio, uh, he won the Academy Award for this movie. Um, but according to what I read, uh, doing my research, he composed the score without even seeing the movie, which seems hard to do. I don't know how that, like, how do you, that seems like you should see the movie before you write a score, but you know, I'm also not a legend of, uh, of music. So maybe yeah. I just don't know. It works well. I have it on vinyl downstairs. It's not so. bad. I mean, like, I'm sure it was definitely a, uh, you know, Al Pacino incentive of a woman at a boy Oscar. I believe it was his first Oscar. So, yeah, like, yeah. he certainly, it was certainly like, when are we going to be able to reward this guy again for a career of excellence? But it's not bad score at all. But still, I just did not know that was possible to, to do a score without watching a movie. But learn something new, I guess. I mean, it's definitely not as good as the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. For just to name one example sure. of uh, oh, iconic <laughs> scores uh, that he has done, yeah, um, to make an obvious well, point. Ten Woman was not as good as The Godfather or The Godfather Two, but that's why the Oscars are, are sure? stupid. We- we haven't gotten to Son of a Woman yet on our album. I know. Channel, but... We got to talk to Tom and see if he's he's presumably sitting at home just waiting for our call, right? Uh, uh, sitting at home in Brooklyn, yeah. I don't <laughs> think he's doing anything. Yeah. No, he's, if he's in Brooklyn, he's definitely not going anywhere, hopefully. No, so. no, yeah, no. All yeah. right, Andrew. Well, now we've talked about Hateful Eight, and we're done Quentin Tarantino's movies. Let's go through and rank them. Um, we are doing this on the fly. He, I don't think Andrew – I didn't prepare a ranking to do. Uh, only mentally. Yeah. I didn't even do the. I don't even know how many slots I have. I have I'm going to go first because I have the. I have the filmography open right here, so I'm going to rank them and then you can take it from there. Okay. Okay. The worst one. So there are. I'm going to cut this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There's ten now. One, two, well, three, I guess if Kill Bill, you count as and you count Death Proof too. There's ten. There are 10 Tarantino movies. That's if you're counting the Kill Bills as two, which uh, I think we should, even though we didn't for the podcast, we should count uh, them as two. Do you, do you want to count them as one? We can do that. I'm, I'm not counting them. I'm counting them as one. All right. Well, then we're counting them as one. So there are nine Tarantino movies. Actually, I don't want no, to figure out two and one. I, like, I don't, I'm counting them as no, 10. You can do whatever you want, but I want to. I just want to do that because I find one better than the other. So There are no rules anymore. I can just get alcohol delivered to my house at any hour, <laughs> yeah. of, hour of the day now. So you can start drinking at 5 p.m. or 4 p.m. or 3 p.m. So I can't leave my house, but I can get 50 beers delivered to me in any hour. There are no rules. 50 beers. What what a round number of beers. Um, All right. So the worst one is Death Proof, unfortunately. I mean, everyone's got to have a worse one, and that's his worst one. The second worst. Um, I will. 
I will say Kill Bill Volume 2. I really just did not care for it when I saw it. I thought I'd like it more this time around. I didn't care for it then either. And then I will say the number, so that's number 10. Number 9 is Kill Bill 2. Number 8 is Kill Bill 1. Really didn't like the Kill Bills at all. What's the point of setting them up if you're just going to put them one after the other? Because I want to say I like one better than two. I liked one better than two in 2003, and I like one better than two now. But essentially, if you want to mush them together, you can just mush them together in your head. That's fine. I like the Hateful Eight Part 1 worse than the (laughs) Well, on Netflix, it's split into four episodes, right? So you could technically do it that way if you want. I like the second episode of Hateful Eight more than the first one. (laughs) All right, so Death Proof. Kill Bill 2, Kill Bill 1, Hateful 8. All right, let me go back. I, I want to I say the numbers as I do this. Sorry. Number 9, Death Proof. Number 8, Kill Bill 2. Number 7, Kill Bill 1. Number 6, Reservoir Dogs. Number 5, Django Unchained. Number 4, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Number 3, Jackie Brown. Number 2, Pulp Fiction. Number 1, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, my list is the same, except I would flip. Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards. Wow, really? We're that yeah. we're that on the same page, huh? Exactly the same. With the caveat that I really need to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Um, I like you, like you. I'm I'm uncertain on that the, that too, but that that's exactly how I would how I would rank them. And I thought, yeah. you know, the one big I would say the two big changes. Actually, no, three big changes I made going through this filmography. One, really, Reservoir Dogs did not hold up for me at all. Two, Jackie Brown, strongly number three, and I could see a case for it being number one. I would never make it number one because I think the other two are genuine classics of all-time filmmaking, but Jackie Brown is tremendous. And then Django. I thought Django was so much better than I thought it was. Like I thought Django was going to be near the bottom. I thought Django and Hateful Eight were sort of comparable in terms of just disinterest. And I think there is a huge chasm between Hateful Eight and Django. I think Django is considerably better. Yeah, my well, my big surprise was I I liked Kill Bill a lot, and I hadn't seen it in a while, and that like plummeted. Like I thought that was going to be near the top, and like to me that is easily his worst. If you throw out Death Proof, which is like Death Proof is like a joke of a film. Like I don't even know if we should put it on the list at all. But it's um, on his Wikipedia filmography, so I'm not running off that. So, but to me, Kill Bill, the Kill Bills are bad. Um, I, I think they're that good. Um, I agree with you that Jackie Brown is like one that I want to rate higher, but I just, I think that's just because it's. I think Jackie Brown has like a better heart and soul than the other two in some ways. But like, I just like Pulp Fiction and Inglorious Bastards are like near perfect films, you know. Yep. And so it's like it's hard to like. There's like there's like no there's no foot set wrong in either of those films. Um, and uh, so I think those are like those are the big those are the big surprises to me. Um, uh, but I I think Jackie Brown wasn't as much a surprise to me that it was rated highly. Just how strongly I feel about it, like because I I, I like Jackie Brown way back when I saw it, um, way back when. Um, and uh, and uh, Django didn't surprise me as much. I remember liking Django uh, at the time. Um, so 
Anyway. I'll say too, like you know, we we did we came to a lot of the same conclusions, but I will I feel like it was very independent too. Like we did not really talk before we recorded these. We yeah. didn't plot this out in any way, as you can tell by the wildly different release dates and the huge gaps in between. Like we there was not a ton of strategizing here. We just sort of did them when we had time, and we'd we'd basically get on here and share our thoughts, and we just sort of agreed on all these. Like we're you know it, was a, it wasn't a concerted effort to to you know to to put them in a certain order. Like we just we weirdly have the same thoughts which is kind of cool like i'm glad that we uh, fell on the same page here yeah and i think <laughs> i think some of that is just revisiting films after you've seen them right like if you've seen them once and they've you know they they occupy a space in your head and then you revisit them again and then there's parts of them that like like i don't either you're at a different stage of life or you just don't remember it exactly as you think um in a very different context you know i was texting you this weekend i rewatched parasite and now i wish i'd like argued with you more about that versus um the irishman uh because like having seen parasite for a our movie time, of the year. Yeah, for our movie of the year yes having seen parasite a second time i'm like that movie is a goddamn masterpiece um which the irishman may also be a masterpiece but i don't think it's I don't think it's anyway. I don't want to rehash the whole argument. <laughs> I will. But the, po- the point is, quickly admit that you have a point, but that's set in stone, and we can never change it. So yes, no. But I, I think the larger point I'm trying to make is that you know when you it there is this is why you rewatch a movie, right? Like I actually got into like arguments with my mom growing up. She's like, "Why do you want want to rewatch a movie you've already seen?" Like, well, this is why you know, like, because because you you change you forget things about the movie and then you go back and revisit it. And you know, it, it's just a different experience. Um, or you didn't value a certain element back with the first time you right. saw, especially when you're like a kid or a teen or, you know, really like, I think that's a great point. We are, we are at a similar point, not, not a similar point in our lives necessarily, but in a similar movie watching state of being, I think where we can yeah. appreciate certain elements more than we did 10, 15 years ago. Well, in Tarantino, we, you and I literally grew up with him. I mean, like from our, you know, teenage years to now. And like, that's, that's a big difference. Whereas like, if we go and redo the Tarantino filmography 20 years from now, I don't know that I, I, my guess would be that the the change in our perception wouldn't be as large. Um, So I will say in terms of enjoyment, I got rewatching these movies, which is a weird metric to quantify, but (laughs) I will say it was Jackie Brown, number one and Glorious Bastards number two. Like Pulp Fiction is great, but I've also I've also seen Pulp Fiction fifty times. Yeah, so like yeah. it was more just like I guess I'll watch it again because I have to. But I do not like I'm ninety nine percent sure there's nothing I missed or nothing I really you know we need to say like what is there to really revisit there you know? Yeah, I think if there's one thing we can say on this ten episode series or nine however many episodes we did, it's just watch Jackie Brown again because yeah. I like that's a movie I just I went way too far in between seeing, you know, um, and, and you sort of hit the nail on the head and you said it a, a little while ago. Like it was the only, it was like Tarantino. I'm sure we had, we addressed this on the previous episode of Elbar archives, but it was like, he decided I'm going to make a sweet person, you know, down to earth, reasonable <laughs> yeah. movie, you know, like yeah. we're still with, with some violence and some dark shit, but I'm going to like, I'm going to focus on a actual sweet human story instead of, yeah subverting genres and, and expectations and all that for a little while. And, and then he was like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm never doing it ever again. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get big and bombastic for the next, you know, 15, 20 years, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it was ultimately fine. But it was, you know, it's, it's, it's very nice that we got that. It's, I think it's one of the things that a lot of people lament in, in director's career these days is they'll do the Reservoir Dogs and the Pulp Fiction, and then they'll jump to, like, 
a Black Panther, you know, because, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they'll do, there's yeah. not always that middle movie where you have a little bit of budget and a little bit of a good cast and you, and it's, you know, and you make that and then you like, you, you make the leap from, from lower mid to high right away. And it was cool that Jackie Brown was before that time. So he didn't make Kill Bill after Pulp Fiction. He made a nice, yep. sweet, amazing movie in between. And then he got a hundred million dollars every movie and <laughs> sort of did whatever he wanted. Yeah. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Well, that does it, Andrew. Anything? Any other final thoughts on Quentin? Or are we able to put him away for good at this point? Uh, put him away for now until till the next That's one. True, yeah. So yeah. whenever there's a new Tarantino movie, we will absolutely get together and record on that one. That is the In Real Deep podcast promise. We will return to Quentin when we have reason to. But for now, all done. See you, Quentin. And Andrew, I know we're gonna, we don't have a plan yet, but we are going to explore another topic like this for a little bit of a series. So we will alert our fans when that happens. And you can watch along, and we will uh, go, go through someone else's career, whether it's an actor or an actress or a director. TBD, but that's going to be coming down the pike, especially if we're still in quarantine. So. <laughs> yes the amazing thing about quarantine is it's leveled the playing field on new releases so yes. uh you know we can all see the see those yeah yeah we'll see yeah we're not going to theaters anymore but we are uh still enjoying the movies as we said so and thank you all for joining us on this journey again if you want to get the old episodes the old tarantino episodes they're all available on inrealdeep.com or you can subscribe to the in real deep podcasts on spotify stitcher apple podcasts everywhere podcasts are we are there and all our episodes are there so go find those thank you for listening to this one stay safe stay healthy andrew you and your family do the same and we will be back with more movies in the very near future thanks for listening and we'll be seeing you further on up the road adios